welcome to What About Us, where we discuss how policies affect rural Middle Tennesseans. My name is Sandy Rice, and our question for today is, what is national health care and how could we pay for it? We are returning to health care again today because we have talked about Medicaid options several times and thought we should touch on health care on a national level. Now, remember, the podcast has no political affiliation, so we are not going to talk about debates or who wants what. It is all just so emotional and confusing and, yes, complicated. You are in for a treat today because we have an expert who is calm knowledgeable, and good at explaining things. My guest is Dr. Carol Paris, past president for the Physicians for a National Health Care, National Health Program. Hi, Carol. Welcome. Hi, so, Sandy. <laughs> thanks for coming today on a hot day in, in Tennessee. So, Carol, can you give us a definition for national health care? I'd be happy to, and I'm so glad we're starting with a definition because I think it's important for listeners to know what I mean when I say national health care or a national health program because sometimes people hear that and it, it may conjure up things for them that aren't part of my definition. So if, if you'll allow me, um, my definition of this, it basically means simply that all of the medically necessary health care that each one of us receives simply by residing in the United States, that all of that care is covered under one national plan, a national health plan. Oftentimes, I'll use the terms Medicare for All and single-payer to mean the same thing. So the single-payer is that one national health plan instead of multiple different health plans that we have now. And that single national health plan is modeled after a plan that we already have in place for our senior citizens called Medicare. So I hope that helps explain the term Medicare for all, single payer, and a national health plan. I think that's very helpful. Good. You know, right now in the United States, instead of having a single national health plan, we have a multitude of plans. And I imagine your listeners could just reflect on which one of these categories they may fall into. Um, I don't imagine many of our listeners are young, but they may have young children who qualify for the CHIP program, the Children's Health Insurance Plan. Or if they're older like me, (laughs) they qualify for Medicare. Or if they're poor um, children or, um, or disabled, uh, if they, they fall into a certain level of poverty or are disabled, they qualify for a plan called Medicaid, which you've talked about on mm-hmm. this podcast talked before. about the, uh, our current Medicaid in Tennessee, which is TennCare, uh, and then some other options that have been explored or are being explored. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that's not that's not even the whole list. If you're a veteran, you some of your health care or all of your health care may be covered by the VA. If you're active duty, you fall under TRICARE. If you're employed, you may qualify, you may be getting employer-sponsored private health insurance. Or if you're self-employed, you buy your insurance either on the in the individual market from private insurance companies or from the ACA marketplace. So that's a lot of different places people are getting care or getting their plan. And that and that's not and, even including all the commercial insurance. Well, that plans. is included within the commercial oh, insurance okay, within okay. those the self-employed and the employer sponsored oh, mm-hmm. That's where you hear those names that everybody's familiar with, the major insurance companies. The ones on TV. The ones on TV (laughs) that have lots of money to advertise Mm -hmm. on TV. Mm -hmm. Cigna, United Health, Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's a big one. um, Those are some of the the biggies. Mm -hmm. Those are the, within those, those those companies, there could be literally hundreds Mm -hmm. of different plans. Options. Options. So I would venture that if we took a poll of all of your listeners, we'd probably find that among them, we've covered at least 10 or 15 of these various different, if not 30, 40, or 50 of these different plans. I'm and afraid in rural Tennessee we have a lot that are in the gap where they don't have any at all. And that's the other part I think it's important. 280,000 Tennesseans that are too wealthy for Medicaid or don't qualify. Mm-hmm. Again, we've tried to to um, differentiate that not everyone that's poor is eligible for Medicaid. Right. There has to be, uh, and mostly children and then the parents of, of children, just yeah. somebody that's kind of down on their luck or whatever isn't automatically there. You have to have so much to qualify for even the cheapest ACA. Mm-hmm. So we've got people in the middle. I, I like your last yeah, uh, yeah. Pro- your so, last insurance program. Right, for, which is... Um, the, let's not forget the people who are living in in the United States and in rural Tennessee who qualify for no plan other than GoFundMe or bake sales. Mm-hmm. That is... Or they go without. Or they simply go without. So the definition of a national insurance program, again, is uh, everyone contributes. Well, yes, Um so let me distinguish that when I talk about a national health plan, I'm talking about how we how we pay for health care. Okay. So it's instead of Cigna, instead of United Health, instead of Medicaid or CHIP or Medicare or VA or Tricare, we we have one insurance provider. Essentially, it's like having one insurance provider for everybody in the nation. And currently, we're calling that um, ideally improved and expanded Medicare for all. So it's an insurance program. And yes, 
everyone contributes according to their income. So unlike health insurance that is in the private marketplace, your insurance company, if you're, if you're in the individual market, um, isn't saying, gee, how much money do you make? And, and we'll base your premium based on your income. We do that, thankfully, in the ACA marketplace. If you buy your insurance in the marketplace, it is, thankfully, subsidized so that it's based on your income. But if you're buying in the individual market and not in the ACA, uh, Cigna doesn't really care that you make $20,000 a year. They're going to tell you what the premium is, and you either pay it or you go without their insurance. Or you go without certain aspects of coverage. Can you get a less expensive plan? Well, now we're sort of getting into an even more complicated reality in Tennessee specifically, which is that um, the Farm Bureau was allowed to continue to sell their insurance. I I can't even call it insurance. It's called um, a... um, What's the term? Um, Association health plan. Mm -hmm. And they're allowed to sell those to people who choose to purchase those in lieu of purchasing health insurance. But those plans are so limited in what they cover and have caps on how much they cover that they are actually not allowed to call themselves an insurance plan and they are not regulated by the insurance commissioner of the state of Tennessee. Part of the ACA, um, the effort of the ACA, was to eliminate association health plans because they're so, they're such a poor deal. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But the state of Tennessee was allowed to grandfather in the Farm Bureau plans. So, some of our listeners are probably they could in those association mm-hmm. health plans. And, and here's the thing about insurance, and I'd like to talk about this when we talk about how we pay for this. Um, for me, there's nothing I want more than to stay healthy year after year, even though that means that for many years... I'm contributing, I'm paying into this health care plan, but I'm not benefiting it from it. And I say benefiting in, in quote marks because who wants to benefit from their health insurance plan? The, the, that means You're I've sick. gotten sick. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get cancer or heart disease or hepatitis. I don't want any of those things. So it's kind of like um, car insurance. I've, I've paid for car insurance for 50 years. 
And for 48 of those 50 years, I did not benefit one penny from having that health and that car insurance because I didn't have any accidents. But I'm really glad that twice when I actually did have accidents, I had insurance because it meant that I wasn't burdened with a great big car repair bill. So I think that it's important for people to think about what they're what we're asking them to pay towards a national health plan as similar to that that mentality of um, this is this is something I hope I never have to use, but I'm really going to be glad because unfortunately, none of us knows when we're going to potentially have an accident or a serious health problem. Wouldn't you like to have the peace of mind of knowing that your your medical needs will be covered and you don't have to worry about all the things that we worry about now um, with our fragmented profit um, profit driven making profit driven mm-hmm. system. Well, I think that we're we're familiar with the uh, concept of insurance because we do have car insurance and homeowners insurance, and of course, everyone wants to be covered. Health insurance, it's just um, there that well, we have so many people that don't have health insurance and aren't able to maintain their health in the way that we've had the mm-hmm. pleasure to do that. But it's affecting all aspects of the healthcare delivery system with. The skyrocketing prices. So that is where the question comes in. How could we possibly afford it? Because everything, what is the question? Everybody, everything costs so much. And uh, mm-hmm. where would this money come from? And I, I had a letter to the editor once that, that said, um, every time I hear about a national health insurance program, it it's another thirty trillion dollars. The price, of, the price tag keeps going up, and I yeah. and I, that's an emotional, right? You know, uh, knee. F- uh, but I think, reflex yeah. reaction to talking about insuring everyone. Right. And you know what? I understand that. I, I'm basically a pretty frugal person, and it's really important to me that. The money that I pay in taxes go to things that are that I feel are are important. So I, you know, I believe in in public education. I want an educated populace. Even though I'm sixty six years old, I don't have children in school anymore. I'm happy to have my taxes go towards education. I'm happy to have them go towards some amount of um, national defense. I'm happy to have them go for um, the roads and and infrastructure of our country. And for, heck, I'm happy to have them go for the National Park Service. Mm -hmm. And what I don't want my taxes to go to is a private insurance company that's making a profit on my tax dollars. 
And unfortunately, that's the situation we're in, um, in many ways, in the United States now. The insurance industry has discovered that the federal government is a cash cow. And they were very happy in, I think it was in 2003, that part of the the legislation, health care legislation that was enacted called MACRA, allowed for the establishment of Medicare Advantage plans, which are Medicare sold by private insurance companies. I'm surprised how many senior citizens don't even understand the difference between traditional Medicare and a Medicare Advantage plan. And and yet, the biggest difference is that a Medicare Advantage plan is subsidized by our tax dollars and a significant portion of that money, like 17% or more, is going towards profit and administration of the medic of the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Traditional Medicare, on the other hand, operates on a two percent administrative two to three percent administrative cost. And guess what? You know how much profit they have to make? None. <laughs> Our government doesn't have an obligation to turn a profit on its citizens. Our government has an obligation to care for to us. Care for us. Mm-hmm. And so when you take that profit out of the equation, that's money that goes towards broadening not only the number of people that you can care for, but it also broadens the range of things that can be cared for. So right now, uh, many of your listeners may be saying, you know, Medicare is okay, but it doesn't cover dental or vision. It doesn't cover hearing. um, doesn't cover long-term care. Mm -hmm. And we've got to have a secondary plan if we can afford it to cover the co-pays and deductibles. Hey, I'm with you. That sucks. I don't don't like that either. But if we passed the kind of national health plan that is currently um, introduced into Congress, it's called H.R. 1384, um, Congresswoman Jayapal from the state of Washington is the sponsor. If we introduced that form of improved and expanded Medicare for All, it actually is written in to cover all medically necessary care, including dental, vision, and hearing, and and some aspects of long-term care. There's work that needs to be done on that. Correct. But it is a vast improvement over uh, what we cover 
uh, in traditional Medicare today? I, I think the, the, the biggest answer to how we pay for it is uh, not to just say, oh, it's going to cost trillions or it's going to raise our taxes. It's to look at what uh, Joe Q. Public is paying in out-of-pocket expenses. Yes. And an out-of-pocket expense is everything from uh, the insurance plan, the premium, what you're paying each month, uh, the deductibles, and those are getting higher and higher deductibles as you pay the first X of your plan. And in order to be able to afford a plan that covers anything um, of significance, the deductibles are going up. And if you kind of, it's February and you hurt yourself or go to physical therapy, you finally dig up the uh, prescription you had from November, guess what? <laughs> you get to pay every the penny. first $1,000, first $2,000, whatever your plan's deductible is. And then your pharmaceuticals oftentimes are not covered, and those are more and more expensive. You know, your episodic care, your, your wellness care, your major medical you know, everything is a, is another little piece mm-hmm. that is going to take more dollars out of your pocket. Yep. So and your eyeglasses and right. your hearing aid. All of the things that are not covered. And another important one that actually has gotten some recognition, um, both at the federal level and I think even at the state level, is the issue of what are called surprise bills. Mm-hmm. So... What those are is, you know, say you're a, you have insurance with Cigna. I'm not just picking that one. And your child falls off a swing and gets a scalp cut and you have to go to the emergency room. And let's say you're, 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 forward thinking enough to remember that your in-network hospital for emergency child care is St. Thomas, not Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm, okay. Well, you go to the hospital that you're, that's in-network and you come out of there thinking, okay, well, this is all going to be covered because I went to my in-network hospital. And then you're suddenly surprised with a bill from the radiologist because the doctor decided, gee, we got to make sure your child didn't get a concussion, so we're going to get an MRI. And you find out that the radiologist isn't in your plan. So suddenly you're stuck with this surprise bill, even though you did all the things, things you're supposed to do. And the, and the most frustrating that you hear people talk about is when they were asleep and a, another anesthesiologist right. came in. So um, Right. So that is actually another important component of the out-of-pocket expenses that, that people face when they actually get sick and have to use their health care. But as you said, even if they stay relatively healthy, um, they've stuff got happens. stuff happens, and you've got premiums and co-pays and deductibles. Another expense that I think people have to consider in thinking about 
what's a better deal, having my taxes go up or keeping my taxes low and keeping the system as it is. And this, I think, is relevant to a lot of the working listeners. And that's the fact that if your employer is providing your health insurance, when's the last time you got a significant raise? Right. Um, I, I used to live in West Virginia, and so when the West Virginia teachers' strike happened last year, I was watching that news very carefully, and there was a teacher holding up a sign saying, we'll work for health insurance, uh, meaning every pay raise those teachers got in their contracts year after year didn't end up as money in their pockets. It ended up going to their the the rising ever rising cost of their health mm-hmm. insurance. Mm-hmm. So, how will we pay for this? Well, you're right. Our taxes will go up modestly, and how much each one of us pays in increased taxes. The way the legislation is written is based on your income. It's based on your ability to pay. And so at the end of the day, even though your taxes go up modestly, the amount of money that you have in your pocket at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the pay period, at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. is actually more because you're no longer paying premiums, co-pays, deductibles, surprise bills, all those things that are taking money directly out of your pocket. And putting it into someone else's that's not contributing a thing to your health and right. wellness. Right, right. That's right. Those that money that you're that's coming out of your pocket is going to an insurance company that's profiting mm-hmm. from their job is not to take good care of you. It's to make a profit for their stockholders. That's their job. The federal government doesn't have that obligation. It doesn't have an obligation to make a profit. So if we had this national health plan, single-payer, improved, expanded Medicare for all, all those tax dollars coming out of your pocket are actually going to the provision of care for you or your loved ones or your neighbors, your community, your community, your rural hospital, your rural hospital. And please, let's talk about rural hospitals. <laughs> That's how we got you here, because the previous podcast that will be up in uh, a week um, talked about, you know, we always have an action plan. Mm-hmm. And part of that was not to just look at the rural hospitals and could we do more with them? expanding Medicaid um, in, in our state. 
uh, we also talked about um, payer mix, mm-hmm. and the reason that many of our hospitals are struggling is there's not enough. Uh, there's too many uninsured people mm-hmm. that have a higher, more acute level of care sometimes. So we said, well, then we need to talk with Dr. Paris about the national health insurance idea. Mm-hmm. So I, so certainly that you would, if everyone that came to that hospital for care could pay for it yes we we may not be able to have saved them all but i think we would have not only hospitals but providers uh we're going to be talking in the future uh, we're supposed to talk about education and small business too but mm-hmm. we'll get to that <laughs> just we just keep folding yeah. into in, into more things but what it's like uh, Dr. Evans, a pediatrician, is going to come and talk about what it's like to be uh, a provider mm-hmm. uh, in a rural area of just children and tent care and oh, the reimbursement. So, so to have providers in um, our rural communities, it's. With I'm, some I'm changes. so glad you're you're doing that. Um, I will say that I am aware that there is. Um, there are a couple of, of groups, especially one called Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, um, that is messaging that rural hospitals will close, more rural hospitals will close if we have a national health plan like Medicare for All. Um, and This is where I'm so glad your listeners have maybe begun to implement some of your earlier action plans, which encourage them to look carefully at who it is that is putting out the message. Because the Partnership for America's Healthcare, Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, sounds like it would be a good it would thing. be a good thing, but. but it actually is a cover organization for the insurance industry, the hospital industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and I'm happy to say it, no longer uh, the no AMA. longer the AMA who actually removed themselves from this partnership the last American week, the American Medical Association. So one of the things the partnership does is they're very well funded with all those profits that are coming out of your listeners' pockets, and they use that profit to put out messaging that scares people, and they think, oh, this group says if we have a national health plan, more rural hospitals will close. Well, excuse me, but I think Tennessee is a case in point. We have more hospital closings in this state than any other state. Per capita. Per capita. And that's with the status quo. Mm -hmm. Right. So I fail to see how ensuring everyone is going to result in 
more rural hospitals closing. That just doesn't make any dollars and cents sense to me. Right, right. And I don't, uh, I don't know if there was any uh, anything else we wanted to cover in, in this session mm-hmm. uh, because this just is begging for our action plan. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so I we would can just go like back. To, okay, go I just want to say one more thing that you you will also be likely to hear on certain, um, you know, in certain uh, news feeds that doctors will take a pay cut if we have a national health plan. Well, again, I would say to the listener, look at who's putting out that messaging and who is likely to profit from it. Because the fact of the matter is physicians want, the majority of physicians want a national health plan because they know that even though Medicare may pay them slightly may pay them slightly less than private insurance. It pays more than Medicaid. It certainly pays more than free care to the uninsured, uncompensated care. And it reduces their overhead by as much as $100,000 per physician per year, which is what it costs just to deal with the paperwork and bureaucracy of our multi-payer system, mm-hmm. not to mention the headaches. And I hope Aim, uh, Dr. Evans will talk about that. One of my favorite, and I'll just close with this, but the Surgeon General in 2017 identified his two biggest public health concerns in the country as the opioid epidemic, number one, and physician healthcare provider burnout Burnout. Mm -hmm. as number two. Mm -hmm. This system isn't just frustrating for patients, it's frustrating for providers too. Well, I think that we have talked about, uh, well, from a patient's um, perspective, uh, we have people on commercial insurance and they can't wait to get to Medicare. Right. I mean, there's co-payments and there's paperwork and you have to do some office visits. I'm just getting ready to go through that. But once you're on it, people people like it. And that's why I think they've chosen Medicare for all and mm-hmm. the uh, naming opportunity uh, for this. But also physicians, oh, they're Medicare. You know, you don't have to. You know, there's this thing with why well, I don't want government in my health care. You want a corporation? Maybe. They're the ones that... Uh, you have to call to get permission to do a CT scan or a PET scan, uh, a lot of our oncology therapies. I had someone say, well, have you considered hospice for this patient? And I said, well, I just, you know, we just met up yesterday, so we thought we'd, like, yeah. <laughs> get some information and right. get to know the patient before we did, you know, a yeah. ba- major decision, a major discussion uh, like that. I mean, and in oncology, just had a lot of very dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, we were ordering sp- expensive things. And yeah. so you could kind of understand it to a, you know, to a certain uh, point. 40, uh, a Gallup poll showed that 47% of the people polled uh, did recognize this uh, commercial, the the medical industrial complex is contributing to our spiraling costs, which mm-hmm. are just not sustainable. Right. 
Um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, a national health program, I believe that it would improve our quality of care. It, it would improve the quality of care, um, not immediately, not in, and it's not going to reduce costs immediately, but it will over time. And that's because once we've actually provided care to all the people that are under-treated now and perhaps need costly treatment because they were untreated were under-treated for so many years, once we catch up and actually get people get the a, a true public health um, baseline in this country, then we can really begin to focus on what are called the social determinants of health and begin improving um, preventive care and immunization and vaccination. And And housing. And housing. How much does that contribute to poor health in our country? I did not know this because I'm not a pediatrician, but I, I read and learned that the number one cause of acute asthma in um, children is living in substandard housing and being exposed to um, cockroaches and their feces. Mm -hmm. That causes acute respiratory distress. And there are children that are a revolving door in the emergency room having acute asthma attacks. Well, if we improve the housing such that they aren't having acute asthma attacks. Think of the money we save. Being able to provide a child with good housing and an inhaler instead of literally thousands of dollars multiple times a year for treatment in the emergency room for an acute asthma attack. Not to mention a lifetime of uh Delays yes. and development right. and education and right. ability to, and to be a taxpayer and all so, those things, too. So I don't want to promise that, you know, passing a national health plan like improved and expanded Medicare for all is going to fix our entire health care system with the snap of a finger. It's right. not. Mm-hmm. But it it is the absolute essential first step. And it puts us all on, on the same plan. And so we all are working together to keep each other healthy mm-hmm. so that we all save money and we can spend our tax dollars on roads or infrastructure parks or, or, parks, right. <laughs> or other things we want to spend it on. Right, right. The organization that I um, have been was recently president of, Physicians for a National Health Program, I would recommend to the readers um, that you look at that site every so often. We produce a lot of um, evidence-based research, and one of the recent studies that was done actually showed that when... When Medicare was enacted and we put how many million seniors suddenly into the health care system, oh, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't 
run out of doctors and hospital beds. What we did was we, our doctors, made decisions to provide timely care to the new people that needed it and to what, unfortunately, sometimes we over-treat some patients. Yes. And I, I, you know, I think that's, that is an issue. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, now you don't over-treat people. You actually treat them as they need to the to the degree that they need and that frees you up to treat people that actually need treatment right. um, and that's you know that's a subject for a whole a well, whole nother it, it, podcast it certainly is. But, and um, um, but the point is that we didn't run out of doctors we didn't run out of hospitals and we won't with passage and we of a won't. national and we health didn't program. used to be a country that said we can't that'll right. never work right <laughs> We we were supposed to be the, we can do anything, and I believe that we can. I believe that we can, I think too. that we could have a internationally renowned health care system in this country if we put our hearts and our minds to it. And that's going to require all of us educating ourselves. Right. And being critical thinkers, which right. is why I love this podcast, because it's encouraging people to be critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. To, to, to see if that makes sense. Often we say in our healthcare podcast, tell your stories to elected officials. What happened mm-hmm. to you? I need to do a podcast on how to write letters and call your you know, um, elected uh, officials. I'm not sure if that's, it's not a concern for me, but I do think people kind of say, oh, who likes to write thank you notes or any Mm -hmm. kind of notes? That's like mom standing over you with a pencil that you're going to write grandma for that $10. But I will tell you that the handwritten letter to your member of Congress is way, way, way more effective than leaving a message mm-hmm. on a phone line mm-hmm. or sending an email. Right. When you call on the phone, you're just a little tick in a column. But that's helpful sometimes if mm-hmm. legislation is moving very quickly. And to demand transparency, who is at the table talking about your health uh, care insurance needs? Um, because many times it's behind closed doors. We've had some stories about that. Or it's the insurance leaders or the hospital CEOs. Uh, again, um, it should be a balance of providers, people on the front lines. When it says doctor, make sure a doctor of what? Is it someone that's a PhD, which is a good thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it an MD, uh, a nurse, another provider who's actually seen patients and been in the trenches? Mm-hmm. So, um, and here's a novel idea. Patients, <laughs> are they on those boards? Uh, Family yes. members, you know, yes. uh, they're important too. Um, I think that in concluding, we can say there's no quick answers to our healthcare crisis. It took us a long time to get here. It's going to take us a while to get um, 
to get out of this, to get uh, good care for everyone. A solution will have to be hammered out. And if we want a good plan, we as citizens will have to stay engaged and vigilant. Health care is an emotional issue, but if we get emotional about it, we'll not be able to create a better system. So we need to not fly off the handle mm-hmm. uh, and just go crazy and follow the first silly thing that we hear. Right. So... Um, I want to thank Carol Paris for coming. I think she's going to be available to us in the new year. So I yes. hope she stops by. Um, and thank you to the What About Us listeners. I hope the podcasts about our healthcare systems have been helpful. We will have many podcasts to help you understand healthcare issues so that you can have and develop a loud, clear, strong voice in making policies work for you, your family, and your community. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. Talk to you all next time. Bye-bye.